Hey, this is Rachel, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. We are going to be in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How could a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So over um, the last week or so, I've really been meditating about my own uh, journey uh, of faith, of salvation, of coming before God, thinking about all my encounters that I've had with, with Jesus over the years and how I eventually came to saving faith in Jesus. And I grew up in church, and, um, but I honestly wouldn't say that I, I was, came to saving faith until I was about... Uh, I mean, even thinking about it, it was kind of hard. I'm like, I'm not quite sure when the lights kind of clicked, but it, it was progressive over time. But, but this reflection was spurred on by this question that I've been challenged with, with lately. And the question is, uh, was to, at least posed to me, Caesar, do you love the lost? And when I say lost, I mean those who are not disciples of Jesus. Now, the first time I was asked this question was last week. I was at a Acts 29 conference, which is a church planning networks conference. It was held in Denver. And, and I was listening to this pastor talk about how the main mission of the church is, if not, if not the main mission, one of the primary goals of the church of Jesus Christ is that we would seek the lost, that we would go about and be with those who do not know Jesus. And I remember just sitting there weeping halfway through, which is kind of awkward when it's like no one else is weeping, but I'm, you know, just crying because I'm, I'm convicted of the fact that I might not love the way that Christ loves those who are, who are lost. And, and after, at the end of the session, I was, felt so inspired. I was like, I got to tell everybody in Denver. I got to tell everybody in Denver about Jesus. And the thing is, like, if you've ever gone to Denver or gone to Denver recently, Man, there's a lot of people on the street who need to hear about Jesus and they don't have anywhere to live. So there's literally the people on the street who need to hear about Jesus. And, and so I was filled with that passion and that fervor for like 48 hours. And then I was back in Florida and I didn't really think about it much. And then this past Sunday, our, one of our pastors, uh, Brady, he was talking, he was preaching on 1 Timothy chapter 2. And as he was talking about praying and supplication and thanksgiving for all people, that same question came to my mind. Caesar, do you love the lost? And all I could say to myself was, honestly, Lord, I don't really think about them. So, well, Caesar, do you want them to be saved? And it's like, Sure, I guess, when I think about it. And so I began during last Sunday's message, I was sitting with the Lord, just dialoguing with him as Brady continued to preach. 
And there was a deeper question that came up in my meditation before the Lord. And it was, Caesar, do you even remember what it is that I saved you from? Do you know what it is that I paid the price for? And so I need you to know that whatever message you're gonna hear tonight is not the intended message I had when we planned this sermon series out. You know, I really don't. This is simply something that is burdening my heart as we speak and it is coming from an overflow of what God is depositing. So it may not be the most polished. It may not be the most funny. It may not be the most this or whatever, but I can tell you what, at the very end, the spirit of God will speak to you as he has spoken to my own heart. So I'm gonna pose the same question to you all tonight as the Lord posed to me last Sunday. Do you remember what it is that Christ saved you from? And the question is important to reflect on because the proportion in which we remember our salvation in Christ is the proportion in which we live a life devoted in gratitude to Jesus. There's always a direct correlation. If you know what you've been saved from, you can show gratitude for it. There's a scene in the gospel of Mark that helps me remind myself of the condition that I was once in and that all of humanity is in. Mark chapter two, verses 15 through 17. This is what it says. You don't have to go there. I'll read it for you. As Jesus reclined at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was sitting, eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but those who are sick do. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. As I read this story, do you know who you are in this scene? Do you know? In fact, at one point or another, I've been all of these people. I've been the self-righteous Pharisee. I've been the money-obsessed tax collector. I've been the chief of sinners and the sick. And when I forget who I am in this storyline, I forget what it is exactly that Jesus saved me from. And when I forget what Jesus saved me from, my tendency will be to live a very spiritually stagnant life. You see, once you've been saved from something, the intention is that you do everything you can to head in the opposite direction. But when you forget how bad it was where you were, sometimes you end up making a U-turn and trying to go back to the thing you needed saving from. And so what we'll find tonight as, as we go through tonight's text is that Jesus saved us from death and has called us to embrace life. And the way that Jesus says that in tonight's text is when he tells Nicodemus that you must be born again. So what we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna talk about our need, every single one of us, how we are so desperately needy of being born again. And I recognize that I am speaking to a room where I know many of you call yourselves disciples of Jesus. And so maybe this is a reality that you're already living in. But what I hope is as you hear this story again, it serves as a reminder of, the, of what the trajectory of your life would have been if Christ had not stepped in. And then for those of you who are hearing this for the first time, I pray and I have been praying 
And I pray as I preach this, that you hear that Jesus is offering you life itself. So as we go through tonight's text, I'm gonna answer three questions. So if you're a note taker, this is the time for you to do it. Why must we be born again? How can we be born again? And who makes us born again? I'll repeat it for you. Why must we be born again? How can we be born again? And who makes us born again? So let's open back up our Bibles, John chapter three. And so there are two major figures that we see in this story. It's only two. It's Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, Jesus here had just come from Jerusalem or is in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And he was out here performing miracles, doing signs, doing what Jesus does. And, and it definitely drew attention. And this is what prompts Nicodemus to come to Jesus to begin with. But notice what time of day that Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Verse two says that, G, that he came to, Nicodemus, to Jesus by night. It's very revealing, right? He did not want to be seen with Jesus, but he, he was interested enough to try and secretly meet with Jesus. Now, this is important to note because Nicodemus had very good reason to never come to Jesus, at least not in the open. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, okay? Pharisees were the Jewish religious leaders who were in charge of leading and guiding the Jewish community in all things related to life and law. But the Pharisees, had beef with Jesus. They did not like Jesus, okay? And the only way for Nicodemus to have a conversation with Jesus without bringing attention to himself would be done in dark, in the secret. But also, Nicodemus knew that by associating himself with Jesus, he would be putting himself at social risk. See, it wasn't just the Pharisees that didn't like Jesus. In all cases accounts, if you weren't one of the poor, lowly, broken, and weak, or at least if you didn't see yourself in that way, they saw Jesus as dangerous, as a threat to their way of life. Nicodemus was rich and he was powerful. He had political, social, and religious pull. So in order to not jeopardize everything he had, he came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus at night. But what would cause Nicodemus to put all his political, social, and religious power and influence at risk? Because what if someone did see? What if they did see Nicodemus being with Jesus? What was it about Jesus that would draw Nicodemus to put everything on the line? I don't know, but we'll see. Nicodemus opens the conversation here in verse, three, uh, verse two. This is what he says. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, this could be genuine flattery. It could be uh, a challenge, uh, skepticism. I, I mean, at this point in time, we don't know because Jesus' ministry had just begun. So no one really knew who Jesus was and what his purpose was. I mean, for all we know, Nicodemus could have just been there to measure Jesus up and, and potentially put him in his place if, if he saw fit. But notice Jesus doesn't respond to the flattery. Instead, this is what Jesus says. Look at verse three. Jesus answered Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So instead of responding to the flattery by just having the conversation about signs and wonders, he talks about the kingdom of God. And, and when he talks about the kingdom of God, all Jesus is talking about is eternal life with God. So now Jesus wasn't ignoring Nicodemus. Jesus is not in the business of necessarily ignoring people. He just asks questions that get to the heart of the problem. He knew exactly what Nicodemus needed to hear. 
You see, in John chapter two, verse 25, it says that Jesus knows the heart of man. He knows what's in your heart. He knew it was in the heart of Nicodemus. He knows everything that we try to hide or even the things that we don't even know that are there or pretend to not be there. And so he knows the heart of Nicodemus. And, and when John says that Nicodemus came by night, it wasn't that he was just referring to a time of day. He was making a reference to a spiritual reality. Nicodemus came in the darkness because his heart was shrouded in darkness. And this is true of anybody who is not a disciple of Jesus Christ. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus and instantly Jesus knows what's in Nicodemus' heart. And he tells him this. He looks at his dark heart and says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is super confused. He's like, wait, hold on. Like, let's, let's read verse four. It's kind of crude, but he says, how can a man be born when he's old? Like, is he supposed to go back into his mother's womb and be born? Which is kind of like a crude thing to say because there's only one way to go back in there. And, but he's taking Jesus' words very literally. He thought... He needed to be externally born again. But what Jesus was talking about, again, is a spiritual reality. See, Nicodemus' heart wasn't just shrouded in darkness. He was spiritually dead. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. And this wasn't just Nicodemus' reality. This is everybody's, every human's reality outside of Christ. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, once sin entered into the world, every human being from that point on was plagued with the reality of sin. So Jesus did not have time to mince words with Nicodemus. He knew that Nicodemus' heart was dead and broken and Jesus wanted to give life to it. John 10.10 10 says that Christ has come to give life to his people in abundance. So while Nicodemus came in the dead of night, Jesus looks at, at Nicodemus' dead heart and says, you must be born again. Now, what does it mean to be born again? He says that twice in tonight's text. And the painting or the picture that Jesus is painting when he says we must be born again is one who is made new. One who is made completely new. Not a part of you, not a sliver of you, not the part that you think needs to be renewed. All of you, 100% need to be renewed because sin has infected every part of our lives and it starts in our heart. And so what Jesus is getting at here is that in order to have eternal life with God, a transformation has to occur in the heart of the one being invited into the kingdom. So we all needed and need to be born again. The question is why? I'm gonna answer this question as simply and sincerely as I can. If you are not born again, you have one ultimate trajectory. And that trajectory is hell. Let that sit for a second. It's not a word we hear too much in church today. But this is a reality for those of us who are not born again and who have been made new. Because there's only one of two places we'll end up at the end of our time on earth. 
eternal life with God or eternal death without God. And I need you to know hell is a real place. It is not a neutral zone where you just don't have God. Hell, in fact, is where God pours his wrath and holy justice towards sin and death. If we have not been made new, Romans 6.20 says that we are enslaved to sin and death. So whatever happens to the master happens to the slave. And so if God is against sin and death and ultimately sends it to hell, it should be no surprise that the servants of sin and death would go along with it. Now, disciples of Jesus, those who call themselves followers of Jesus, this is what you have been saved from. This is what we have been saved from. We've, but we, we've grown so accustomed to the grace and mercy of God that we've forgotten that hell is not only, was only our destination, but is the destination of anyone who is not found in Christ. What we have to remember is that we cannot and never did buy our way into the kingdom. The prerequisite for eternal life is being made new. You don't get eternal life by any achievement or accolade that you think you can bring before Jesus. It is no accident that this conversation happened with Nicodemus because in so many ways, we all are Nicodemus or have been. See, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. He knows who he is. Like Nicodemus knows that he's powerful, rich, socially popular. He knows that he comes to Jesus and he just assumes he can have audience with him, but he's afraid to be seen with him. And, he, and he's asking these questions because he wants to know, is there anything that Jesus can offer him that he does not already have? Funny thing is, Jesus has everything that Nicodemus can never have. You see, we come to Jesus sometimes with all that we have, the good and the bad. And we're just hoping that we give Jesus just one reason. Maybe he can find one thing in us that, that's worthy of being saved. Like there's one thing in you that can mask all the other things that you've done or thought or said or been. But he looks at you and he looks at me the same way he looked at Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. Your heart must be made new. Jesus saw our condition. He saw our dead hearts and came to give us life. But up to this point, we have heard Jesus calls us to be born again. And now we're getting to understand why we need to be born again. But the next question is, how can we be born again? In the book of 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul writes about being born again. He uses a slightly different language, however. He says instead of being born again, he calls it new creation. You see, the reason I want to bring your attention to the apostle Paul is because he has experienced and is a good testimony of what a life of being born again looks like. He experienced the joy, freedom, and power that comes with being a new creation. See, Paul was a Pharisee like Nicodemus. He's actually worse than Nicodemus. See, Paul was higher in rank. He was like a general in the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin in the time of Jesus was the supreme council of the Jews. And so Paul, on all accounts, hated the gospel. He hated Jesus. He hated all of Jesus' disciples. He hated the church. And he was given the power by the Sanhedrin to go and execute Christians. 
Now, Paul may never have been the one to pick up the sword or throw the rock, but he would be the one to send soldiers to kill early Christians. But then you read in Acts chapter nine, you can read about Paul's conversion. And Acts 9, one says that Paul breathed threats and murder. Literally, his inward being was so rotten and drenched with death that you could smell it on him. As he was making his way to Damascus and as he's making his way to go against the Christians, he's met, with, he's met by Jesus and Christ calls Paul. Here's the crazy part. The man that is killing the church, Jesus calls to be the preacher of the gospel to them. And as you read the rest of the New Testament, the life in the life of Paul, you'll see that Christ made a son out of an enemy. The Paul that executed Christians would be transformed by God into Paul, the one executed for the same Christians he once was tasked with killing. And I want you to keep this in mind for two reasons. There is no one that cannot be saved. There is no one that's too far gone. There is no one that cannot experience and receive the beauty of the gospel. That means your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your cousin, a friend, your coworker, there is no one far too gone. And that means you're not too far gone either. The gospel is for us all. And so Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, behold, the new has come. And so you might be saying, like, I hear what you're saying, great, we are called to be new creation, but, but how? How can I be born again? Well, Paul says you gotta be in Christ. Okay, fine, Caesar, but how then can I be in Christ? This is what Romans chapter 10, verse nine says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now there are two aspects to this verse. You have to see both Christ as Lord and you have to see him as savior cannot be divorced from one or the other because it's only when you see them both tied together that you see the one call here. You're supposed to surrender your life to Jesus. There is no other way to be born again. Later in John chapter three, we find that Jesus is the one who is sent to save sinners Jesus knew that there was nothing that humanity could do in its own volition that each of us could do in our own desires and hearts to be made new. In fact, Ephesians chapter two, verse five says this, says you are dead in your sin. And you know what dead people can do? Nothing. And so when Jesus calls for Nicodemus to be born again, Jesus was actually telling Nicodemus, I need you to let me do the only thing that I can do for you that no one else can. I need you to be born again, but you can't do it for yourself. I need you to be born again, but none of these people can. Nobody can make you born again aside from myself. We've been, we've been made alive and made new in Christ because of God's love and mercy towards us. Let me ask you today, if you were to die and you were to be before her the throne of heaven, let's just imagine there's a gate 
It's kind of biblical. You see in Revelation, but imagine just St. Peter. Like there's always this idea. St. Peter's at the gate with a little list and be like, you're not on this. But let's just imagine he is. You get to the gates of heaven. You see Paul, you see Peter. Paul's probably in there too. But Peter, he says, why should I let you in? What would be your response? What would be your response? Oh, I read my Bible every day. I fast, I pray, I give to the poor, needy. I healed someone yesterday, prophesied, spoken tongues today. Here's what I need you to know. No amounts of Bible memorization, Bible reading plans, minutes of prayer, speaking in tongues, prophesying, hours of quiet time, fasting, none of it grants you entry into the kingdom of God. Everything I just mentioned is great, and please do it. Christ desires it for us. But none of those things make you born again. None of those things make you a new creation. None of those things are the reason you'll be in heaven with Christ forever. Jesus Christ crucified is the price for our entry into life with God. That's the answer you give. You can look at Peter. You can look at the pearly gates. You can look at all of creation. And if anyone asks you today, why should you be let into heaven? You look at the cross and you look at Christ and you say, because his blood was shed and he told me I could go. That's your answer. Nothing you've done. Everything he's done. Why have we forgotten that? So many of us, and I have a strong word for us Christians because this falls heavy on me, but so many of us function as Pharisees. We're just like Nicodemus. We have like a Nicodemus heart. We are more dependent on ourselves than we are on God. We, we speak more of our own accomplishments than we seek to speak about the accomplishments of Christ. We're, we're more curious about God from the distance, but not very committed to him. At best, we're interested from afar. We're scared to profess our faith in Christ in public. We're ashamed of the gospel. This is not condemnation. I can't do that. Jesus says, anyone in Christ, there's no condemnation for them. So amen. So I'm not condemning you. I'm asking you to ask yourself the question, why do we depend on ourselves more than we depend on the work of Christ? We place more faith on our spiritual works than we do on the blood of Christ that was shed for you. The reason you get to go to be with Christ forever is because of Christ's perfect life, Christ's death on the cross, and Christ's resurrection from the tomb. That are the only works necessary for you to be saved and to be continually saved. And as we speak, I'm confident that the Spirit of God is calling you right now to give up your old life and to become a new creation. God has a purpose and story for you to live that is grander than you can imagine. And I'm talking about more than just wealth and status. I'm talking about a life that is made whole. What do you come in with today? 
If you can, try to meet my eyes because I'm asking you this sincerely. What do you come in with today? You come in with your anxieties and your burdens and your fears and your doubts and your worries. Does God actually exist? Does God actually love me? Why can't I wake up and not feel anxiety riding over my shoulders? Why is depression the only emotion I can feel these days? Why, why, why? All these things. How, what do you come with? Because that's not a whole life. That's not a whole life. Hit me just today. I, I don't experience whole life sometimes. I didn't even want to preach today. Literally wrote this in eight hours today. I sat at my desk for hours thinking, this has to be better than this, God. I thought you said you loved me. You said you give me a word. I'm just there frustrated. Rachel's at work, so I can scream at home. Pretty sure my neighbor saw I was killing something or TV was on, but I, I, I was viscerally angry. And then I'm reminded, Caesar, you've been called to be a new creation. You've been called to be born again. You don't have to live a divided, broken life. Christ has invited you to be whole. We can't end here though, because there's one piece that's missing. While Jesus made the pathway for us to be born again, he, we have to ask who is the one who actually makes us new? Let's go back to John chapter three, verse five. Let's read it together. Jesus answered Nicodemus to his slightly crude question. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, Nicodemus, remember, is confused and thinks that we have to be born again, excuse me, of our mother's womb. But, but John 3, 5 gives clarity to all of this. Jesus says that we must be born of water and spirit. And when Jesus says that we must be born of water and spirit, Jesus is actually making a reference to an Old Testament prophecy in Ezekiel 36. I'm gonna read it, just two, it's two or three verses. Let me just read it for you. Ezekiel 36, 25 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Listen clearly, just let me borrow your ears for a moment. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus makes the pathway, but the Holy Spirit is the one who completes our transformation. Okay. And you're like, okay, big whoops. Thanks. I can put that down. It's important because notice that in Ezekiel's prophecy, the transformation of the heart is in conjunction with the presence of the spirit of God. The spirit is the one who makes us new. And we need him to make us new because we don't have what it takes to make ourselves a new heart and we're desperate for a new one. This is the power of God. Ephesians says, you are dead in your sins and your trespasses. 
Dead people cannot do anything for themselves. So if you need a new heart to go and be in heaven with Jesus, if you need a new heart to be considered born again, if you need a new heart and you can't do it for yourself, you know what? Even if you entrusted yourself to somebody else, do you know anybody who's ever brought anybody back from the dead? I've never met a power that powerful. I've never met a person who could do that except for Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the power of God to save. Now this heart that he gives you is not just any old heart. It's not just a new one to replace the old one. It's one that is bent towards living in harmony and closeness with God. See, in this prophecy, Ezekiel is telling the people of God that there will come a day when they will be made whole and their hearts will be undivided. They will yearn for God and seek to be with God and they will turn from sin and turn towards holiness. And so Jesus, when he says to Nicodemus, you are to be born again of water and spirit, what he's saying is that when I call you to be born again, it's that you would be so completely transformed from the inside out that you have no other option but to seek and love and be with God. If you were to go to heaven with the heart that you have right now, broken, scattered, and divided, heaven would be miserable. It would be miserable. But you need a heart that is bent towards life with Jesus. We aren't given a new life, though, for us to continue to be what we were. You hear me on this? Christ has made you a new creation, not so that you can go back and be like your old creation. So that's, too, that's far too many of our stories. And often when we preach the gospel, we forget this part. Christ saved you to be a new creation. That means you leave the past and your sin behind. Don't have Christ as your groom and sin as your mistress. Don't have one foot in the grave and one foot in grace. Don't place yourself back in the prison that Christ has freed you from. It's not fitting for a child of God. And so Jesus wants transformation for you, just like he wanted transformation for Nicodemus. Now we don't see it in this part of the story, but Nicodemus actually does come to have a transformed heart. The same Nicodemus that hid in the dark to talk to Jesus would be one of the two people to go and bury Jesus after his crucifixion. How do you explain that? Because it's not a question anymore. Do you like Jesus? Are you friends with Jesus? If you go after Jesus' death to bury him, you're making it very clear. I'll die for this guy. But you'll notice this also. It wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't. Some of our stories are, but not... This call for new creation is something that can be experienced over time. Sometimes the, the Holy Spirit blows like a gentle breeze that over time causes you to bow before Jesus and surrender. And other times it's like a whirlwind in moments, in a moment's notice and you give everything to Jesus and you're running after him with complete abandon. But I need you to know, regardless of which of those stories are yours, they both bring glory to God because at the end of it, one thing is true. You are a new creation who is living for their new heavenly father. But let me ask you this tonight. Are you a Nicodemus? 
Are you here tonight curious about Jesus, but refusing to commit following the way of Jesus? Are you here because there's a continual nudge on your heart that keeps telling you to come to be with Jesus? Are you here simply because a friend told you to come, but as you've sat here and heard the gospel, your heart is unexplainably stirred. If this is you, I can tell you that the Holy Spirit is calling you to confess that you need Jesus, to place your life and trust in the hands of Christ our King. If you are a Nicodemus and you are not a follower of Christ, the call is simple. You must be born again. And to those of us who claim to be disciples of Jesus, do you have a Nicodemus heart? And I don't mean are you saved or not saved. What I mean is that have you claimed Jesus with your lips, but your heart is distant? Because I know that I am often tempted to have a Nicodemus heart. There are times where I'm afraid literally to pray in public because I'm scared to be associated with Jesus. There are times where I want people to praise me for what I've done instead of making sure that God gets the glory. There are times where I yearn for earthly comforts instead of seeking to be obedient to Christ. I have a Nicodemus heart at times. So you can be born again and still have that nagging, thinking old Nicodemus heart, trying to convince you to go back to your old ways. But God's word is beckoning all of us here to remember, we have been saved for a future that is greater than the brokenness of our past. When I remember what Christ has done for me and the spirit has completed in me, that old Nicodemus heart has no grounds to stand on and I'm able to tell it to shut up. Here's the reality. We either are a Nicodemus, are tempted to be a Nicodemus, or know somebody who is a Nicodemus. And all through circumstances, there's one thing you must do. You cry out to the God who saves. If you are a Nicodemus tonight, you don't have to be anymore. You can be in your seats right now and you can say it. Call upon Jesus for salvation and he will grant, happily grant it to you. Ask for him to make you born again and I promise you, Jesus will not withhold it from you. If you are tempted by Nicodemus tonight, tempted to live in fear, shame, and self-dependence, you can pray that the spirit stirs your heart and brings to remembrance that you've been saved to be with God. And if you know a Nicodemus, you cannot save them, but God can. Pray for the Holy Spirit to blow the wind of salvation over them. Who are you tonight? Which Nicodemus are you? I just want to remind you, again, I know I just said it. Whichever category you fall into, Christ is powerful enough to save you from it. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. As the song we just sang said, 
come in power. Move in us. Spirit of God, you confirm our adoption as sons and daughters of Jesus. So I ask that you would make children out of orphans tonight. I pray that because our people in this room have just learned that they're Nicodemus. May they not wait any longer. May they trade in all that they've had and may they come to you and surrender all that they are. I pray that you remind us what you saved us from, Lord Jesus. You saved us from the pangs and depths of hell. You saved us from having to live this life constantly broken without hope. Thank you for the heart you've given us and the spirit you've given us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the presence and power that we experience through the spirit that you have sent. I'm filled with gratitude in this moment, Lord. Not because I've been saved, because I deserve it. I'm filled with gratitude because I've been saved because I didn't. We love you. Help us see how much we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use the message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.